problem that most of us are in recovery, yes? Yeah. 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 yeah so. uh, you missed last night. You missed a secret handshake, so I'm sorry. It's going to be lost. Uh, well, we just, my experience in AA is that um, you know, I always like to say, um, my golden years were between two and four years old. Everything was pretty good then, and then it went downhill from there. And uh, but this all happened in hindsight. I can see what occurred in a certain way. And uh, the downhill began when my mind started to cook up, you know, when the introspection, when instead of just being engaged with life, there was a part of my attention that turned in to see who was engaged with life. And then the mind gave me a lot of ideas who that was over the years, yeah. And most of them were sort of on the negative slant. So when I was obsessing with the idea of me, I felt like a little uncomfortable. And especially if I was around people, I thought they could see what I was feeling about me pretty clearly. So I had to had start creating a song and dance pretty young, you know, keep jiving and swishing around so no one could really see who I was. I had no idea who I was, but there was tons of ideas about that. <laughs> you know, like very, something was wrong with me, like inherently wrong. And uh, to me, wrong and bad, you know, like bad, like sort of like religious bad, and then I should be punished, you know, in some way. So it was like, if I felt like if you had the itch and you scratched it, you should suffer in a sense. Yeah, it was a weird, weird thing. I think it may have been a lot with my Irish grandmother downloading a lot of conditioning into my head when I was a kid because you're like sponge, you're like a sponge then and especially if love is there and you're open, a lot of stuff comes in and, uh, but it's very difficult to get out once it's in so um, you know, I went on along my way and of course the discomfort grew more and more and uh, you know, just felt like you know Every day, just thinking about you gets really, really exhausting. You know, and going over every little minutiae of every day, you know, seeing what happened or what it meant was just really exhausting. And you want relief. And uh, I wasn't getting relief from sports or anything like that. They helped me a little bit, but I wasn't getting any relief from sports. And uh, when I, you know, I found when I was 12 years old, I was at a little league game. And, uh, my mother was a night game. My mother didn't come that night, and I was going to walk home. And after the game, a guy came in the dugout with a couple six packs of beer, and I never had a you know never had a drink, and I had a beer that night, and my athletic career came to a screeching halt, you know, <laughs> because I didn't know what I was looking for, but when I found it, I knew what that was what I was looking for, because when I drank, I got relief from thinking about my batting average, you know, and when people, when I'd be up at the plate and someone got up and went to go to the bathroom, I took it personally from the stands, like they were leaving because I was up at the plate, you know what I mean, it was just, you know, I played really good basketball practice, but in games I'd freeze because of the self-centeredness, I was so, you know, all this, all these, all these effects from the alcoholism were already demonstrating, I hadn't even drank yet, you know, so... I found alcohol and it worked somewhat. I got relief from the alcoholism, which is what I was looking for. But unfortunately, uh, it's like a contract with the devil, obviously. So it may start out as the payoff is I got a little relief, and there was. It started out as a very little cost, but as soon as I started to drink, 
I realized I had magnetic appeal to people in uniform, you know. As soon as I started to drink, I started having consequences in my life. And I didn't feel I deserved them. But I found the alcoholic of my type, you may fall into this category, is I'm willing to pay any consequence tomorrow not to feel uncomfortable today. You know, just the way, that's how my mind is. And I mean, I could not believe the consequences I paid. And yet I'd still get high as soon as I got out of the consequences. Yeah, it was just unbelievable. And it got to a point, really. And you know what happens, you know. You may have had certain qualities there as you were grow- growing up, but they get eclipsed quickly. Mm-hmm. And after a while, that light in your eyes is gone, and you become sort of rabid in a way. I did. And uh, alcohol wasn't enough. It moved to drugs, you know. And then the, what drug what I was using wasn't enough. It moved to other drugs. And the way I used the drugs more than enough than I used to other ways of using the drugs always ex- going more and more to an extreme to try to get the quickest delivery so I could feel like I was out of self, you know. But there was, it seemed like, uh, you know, in spirituality they have stories about great devotees of spiritual duality, uh, in spirituality, but I would match our devotion to drugs with any spiritual devo- devotee in the history of spirituality. I mean, most of us have given up everything for that lifestyle, prostituted ourselves, yeah? Loved it. I mean, I've never loved anything more than cocaine. Loved it, would do anything, would give everything of ours and give everything of someone else's to get it, yeah? And we were 24 hours, 24 hours, seven days a week devoted to it. I mean, and yet we still didn't transcend the, the uh, original problem. The relief never stabilized. I've never met one coke addict that one day shot a shot of coke and said, thank you, I've reached cocaine nirvana. <laughs> I'm stabilized now. I give all the coke, rest of my coke to other people. <laughs> I hope you find what I have found. <laughs> it doesn't work out that way because addiction is addiction. It's never going to be fulfilled. It's always delayed. That's all you can do is delay it. You can't fulfill it. Because if you could, we would have. Because a lot of us have gone pretty extreme to a great length to find that fulfillment with that lifestyle, and it doesn't work. So, and it really bums you out when that hits you, you know, that you can't get out of of yourself. Because I thought if I pulled my mind taut enough, it would snap and I would be liberated, you know. I figured if I could stay up long enough on coke and like just just get it to such a point it would finally snap and something would change that would stabilize that there would maybe an ease and comfort would come or something some kind of relief from that giant thing that yapping going on in one's head you know but it didn't work so what occurred is like all of us you know many of us I started washing up on the shores of institutions and jails and death you know I spent two years in a program called Delancey Street, sort of maybe like this. I don't think it is. It's 24-7, and it was pretty harsh, and we had attack therapy every, you know, three nights a week, three hours a night, and people would just go off on each other verbally, and, you know. <laughs> then they'd, we'd leave and go back to the, to the facility, and they'd have a giant bar full of dessert, so they, everyone would get sugared out. <laughs> it was sort of like a Pavlovian experiment. You know? It really was. It was really freaking insane, like mind control. You know? 
Well, as the buses were taking us to the where we had the games, it, you could hear a pin drop. Everyone was so nervous they were going to get attacked. Afterwards, it was like a riot on the buses. So we had this huge relief, and then the sugar. That's <laughs> so freaking unbelievable. You know what I mean? And I saw so many people in that facility that started cooking with a resentment. And yeah, and there was a glass door. And when you, if you left that glass door, you left the program. And you could see they were, they were having this argument with themselves about leaving. And then, yeah, and they thought they had all the knowledge they needed to know it was the right move. But the mind was keeping a, knowledge, a lot of knowledge away. And when they walked out that door and the glass door slammed, the rest of the knowledge dropped in. You don't have a pot to piss in. You have nowhere to go. You can't even, you don't even have bus money. And you went out and you left at night. <laughs> there's no buses. There's nowhere to go. And they'd be, you'd see them. I saw so many of them freeze at the glass door and then realize what happened after it happened. It's sort of like how many of us, you know, lived in that shit away of all of that, sh- that, that hallway of shitting fans, yeah? You know, running that gauntlet all the time, you know? Wondering why there's so much shit in our faces. You know? <laughs> Couldn't see what turns the fan on or how the shit aligns with the fan. <laughs> yeah, and how we have this tendency to so say, what's going on? And then, <laughs> the best we can do is find a, a great way to wipe it off. You know? <laughs> to me, that's not a solution. It's not a solution. What, what could possibly happen that could keep me from running that gauntlet? That's a solution. That's a solution worth, worth the definition of the word solution. Not another fucking way to tolerate the intolerable. And the slavery we're in is intolerable. It's fucking intolerable. You know? We make do when we think there's no other way. But if you get the information, there is another way. There is a solution. You can put your foot down finally, and you can be radically free from the effects of that disease of alcoholism. You can be radically free from it. To the point where it describes it in the book, the problem will not exist for you. That's a damn good solution. If you could live today as if the problem does not exist for you, that's a damn good solution to the whole situation. So what happened with me is, like many of us, it just spiraled down more and more, more and more. Spent two years and three months in programs, a lot of jails, got run over twice in one night, (laughs) overdosed, had abscesses where I couldn't go to the hospital, had to go to clinics with no anesthesia and get them filled with cotton. You know what I mean? You ever fill, pull the cotton out of an abscess? It's like it's endless. This, like you didn't know. That, how, where did that hole go? There's so much cotton stuffed in there. You can pull it out. What the hell? You know what I mean? It's just unbelievable life, what we, can, what we start tolerating. It's sort of, for me, it's like uh, our ability to adapt is incredible. We're more adaptable than cockroaches. And I know people that I saw since I lived. I lived in an area in the Haight when I first got sober in San Francisco called Haight-Ashbury. Everyone knows it. I lived there the first six years of sobriety. And there's people I used to see on the streets there. And when I visit there now, 26 years later, they're still surviving. You're not going to be lucky enough to die quickly. You know, The parasite of alcoholism has one host. And if it's you, it doesn't want you to die. It wants, like, it wants to have you feel like you're going to die, but it ain't going to let you off that easy. I mean, I see these guys, they, they have limps, they're missing teeth, but they're still cooking. It's, it's like they're indestructible. You know what I mean? I once lived in a place in Florida. First time I moved to Florida from New York, 
They have bugs there called palmetto bugs. They're like super large cockroaches that can fly for like 20 feet, very erratically. You know, it looks like they have nowhere. They don't know where they're going. And I moved into a room with, and uh, and it was a nudist house. It was people. They they were nudists. But I was going to keep my clothes on. But I rented a room in this house. And I moved in, and I had a room, and I got some furniture. And at night, I hear stuff. And it was these two big freaking palmetto <coughs> bugs crawling around the dresser. You could hear them. You know what I mean? So I had all these candles around. I had a futon. I had all these candles around the bed to protect me and stuff. And every night, I'd be up half the night listening to them. And I'd come in the room, and they'd hit you because they'd fly and fall out. So one day, at that time, back then, they had these shoes called earth shoes. I don't know if you ever saw them. They were like about two pounds each. Very heavy shoes. So this one night, I have to kill. I got a plot to kill these things. So I stay up all night, and I'm listening to them. And I see one of them on the floor. It's hard to miss. They're pretty big. And he's crawling, and I, I put something over it. And I think, and I smashed it with the earth shoe. I flattened it, and I thought that was the end. And then five minutes later, it just went, it like blew back up, and it was alive again. That's what we're like. That's where I moved out. And that's what we don't do. How can you move out of what you think you are? You can't leave what you think you are. That's the dilemma. That's the dilemma of alcoholism. The parasite has convinced us that we're the parasite. So it's like you think you have alcoholism, but you actually believe what alcoholism is. You're way beyond thinking you have alcoholism. It would be easy to let go of it then. If it was something you had, you could stop having it. But you're identified as it. So when you want to get out of alcoholism, you leave as an alcohol. You leave with the alcoholism. Yeah. And we have a statement in AA, which is one of the most incredible statements, which is self cannot get out of self. Yeah. So if there is, if the root of the problem is, and just like with the desire to transcend through drugs, it failed. The, the, the desire to transcend alcoholism through trying to check the obsession with self will not work, I find, because the obsession is just there to reinforce the identification as a self. Yeah? And if you're identified as self, which most of us are, you don't know it. That's, called, that's why the identification is so freaking good. You're taking yourself to be that which you're not. Yeah? So for me, I was practicing a lot of spiritual stuff in my 10, 11, 15 years of AA. Yeah? And yet, I could not get to the solution because it was me that was practicing the stuff. And the me was the dilemma. I had to hear it from outside, just like a meeting like this. But it wasn't in the recovery. I had to go outside. And I heard the message, and I entertained the possibility that I may not be that. And I had an incredible example being in AA because I had heard a lot of you people share what it was like to be you and it sure sounded like what it was like to be me. Yeah, I, And I realized, Jesus Christ, I'm not identified with who you are. I'm identified with what's taking you over because the same thing took me over and we have an intimate feeling and experience of what it's like to live under that tyranny. And that's what starts breaking it is when we get together because it's a, definitely a disease of isolation. Yeah. It has you, especially when it has you alone. 
So like when people come in and talk with me and they think they have a problem and they say, I'm going to go home and think about it, I say, I'll go to coffee with you. I'll go to the movie with you. Do not go home and think about it because you'll spawn about 20 more problems. <laughs> yeah, don't watch, do not go, oh, I've got to go be by myself and figure this out. Please, no. <laughs> it's not going to work that way. <laughs> That's like the last thing. So my drive here, humbly, seriously, is like we were talking today, my friend and I were together, and we're talking about circuit speakers and everything, and a lot of them, I haven't been to one in a while, but they're great. They're very entertaining, and they're inspirational, and you may cry and laugh, but we need a lot of, we need some information in this program also. We need to know what the root of the problem is. We need to have the right diagnosis, because if you have a cold, and you've assumed it's the flu, yeah? Because they have similar symptoms, not all of them, but yeah, you assume it's the flu, and you take flu medicine, $300 of it a day, religiously, and for a few weeks, you're going to get some relief, but you're not going to get the radical relief because it's a misdiagnosis. It's not the flu. You have a cold, yeah? <coughs> yeah. So in recovery, they talk about obsession with self or you know, self-centeredness as the, as the root of the disease. Well, how centered in self can you be but identified as it? You can't go any farther than that. To me, I believe that's the root of the disease. And when I started to entertain the problem that I had been in recovery from for 10 or 11 years when I heard this message, when I started entertaining that <coughs> recovery from this message, I, I moved into radical relief from alcoholism. And it's just as if, if I had a rash on my leg and I didn't know what it was, and I bought about 10 different ointments, and I tried them on. And let's say what happens with me, and maybe with you, I put one on, and I hope it's going to work, and it actually grows more of it. What I do is just put more of the ointment on, you know? And then it, and I just keep denying that it's not working. I'm hoping it's working. And then I buy like a gallon of it and bathe in it, and now it's really spreading, yeah? So let's say I tried another ointment and another ointment, and what happens is I judge the ointment by the proof. Does it relieve me from the rash? Yeah? Then I hit one, and it does. The rash disappears. Then I read what the ointment says on the, on the, on the, the, the tube. It's for psoriasis. I got it. So that's what I was suffering from. So when I entertain this idea, this idea that the root of the problem is identification as self, I started to get radical relief from the problem. So I started to know, I, instead of looking at the problem, I looked at the solution, hey, that it's identification as self is the problem, and I realized that's the solution. By how? The relief from the problem. A radical relief that stabilized and transformed my program into a stable condition in my life. Instead of something that I was doing, yeah, it, starts be, it, was, it turned into something that I am, which is much more available. Yeah, So I found what I needed to rely on was right where I am at all times, Yeah, with no requirements necessary, just my ability to entertain it. Yeah? But first I needed to hear the information. I wasn't finding it through my own devices. I was always getting returned back into self. When self is trying to get out of self, it was just more selfing. Yeah? It, it can wear tons of different garbs. It can wear white robes and patchouli oil, just like a black jacket and cats. It doesn't, 
it's a it's an incredible chameleon alcoholism. Yeah, it will look just like it can have done tons of uniforms on it. But what it is the one that's called the one you're calling your skin is the dilemma. Yeah, the thing we're calling our skin is also the uniform of alcoholism. It's the root problem of it, which is an act of being identified as it, which is forgotten, and therefore you never look that way. And then it's always latently possible to be attacked by it. You always have, there's also, now you have a fear yeah, of that constantly, even when you're sober from it. Yeah? To me, there's a point where it reached where I just became like a free-range alcoholic, you know? I was released from the coop and just run around. I have my parameters. If I cross them, if I start acting out, or if I shot some coke right now, first of all, if I was going to, if I shot coke right now, the donation would go right away. I <laughs> You know, we'd send the, the basket around right away. Because as soon as I'd be out the door. You know what I mean? All the spirituality, generosity would be gone. Yeah? Because, you know what? Everything is uh, latent. That's why when people feel like they got over resentment and it comes back, they're surprised. The resentment can only reach a point of appearing or not appearing to you. The resentment, there's nothing called a resentment. It, it determ- it's determined by your condition. Yeah? And if the right circumstances arise, that resentment you thought you were over with will arise again. Because nothing here is actually so. It's all based on that word seemingly. It appears to be true or false to us. So that's why it's so important that we're in good condition. Yeah? If we're in good fit spiritual condition, that stuff that's a possibility doesn't find expression through us. Yeah? We don't produce that hell. So we need immunity to what's calling upon. How do we... I really believe we need immunity to the thought system. Yeah, There's a lot of thoughts that are worthwhile. A lot like the thoughts that are happening to me sometimes now work. When I'm in a certain situation, like the, the, I was on flying back down here from Toronto, and then I, somehow I, must have, I was listening to something and I didn't hear the announcement, so the flight was canceled. So I, and it was weird because I went through the, to the, uh, the gate and it said Newark. And then the next time I went to the gate, it said LaGuardia. And I said, what happened? Oh, that flight was canceled. And the next one's at 10 o'clock at night. So there was like, I've got, what am I going to do? So I had a couple of thoughts. Well, just go over what you need to do. Let's talk. Go to customer service. Do this and that. And as soon as it did its job, it stopped. That's the thought system that works. Yeah. The psychological thing. Oh, what is this going to mean? All like that is unnecessary. Yeah? I need immunity to that. But because if I don't have immunity to that, I can't enjoy peace of mind. I can't. I'm not going to know serenity and comprehend peace. It's not going to happen. Yeah? Because I'm going to see peace as something that cut, is that's, that's dictated by time. If you have peace tonight, but you're determined that there is tomorrow, you're going to be worried, will I be in peace tomorrow? That ain't peace. When you're being driven by time, which is uh, the aspect of the disease thought system, you are not going to be able to stay even when something that you've been waiting for for years just shows up. Yeah, You're going to be pulled and tugged just like a form of freaking slavery. Who wouldn't want to get loaded? Yeah, I still think that drive I had when I was a kid was valid as hell. Yeah, I needed relief. 
And I still knew, you know, today I need relief. But now the relief is readily available. Yeah? And the best answer to dissatisfaction is just being satisfied. I'm telling you. And if there's, to me, this is what happened. Everything I said is coming from it already happening. And in my mind trying to articulate it. I'm not trying to articulate it into existence. It's already downloading and I'm trying to articulate it as an invitation. So that people from my same fucking tribe can get some damn relief that stabilizes. So I'm not going to meetings where everyone's talking about the problem from the problem. So what happened with me? I got my ass royally kicked. Big time. I did not believe how low you can go and adapt to it. Like someone's in where I come from, it says, the day you have, the day your bottom occurs is the day that you couldn't lower your standards fast enough. (laughs) I just couldn't, I just had it. I just couldn't put my pants down low enough. It was just over. It caught me unawares and something happened, you know. But I didn't, what happened with me, I didn't come in here from with a bottom. I had surpassed so many bottoms and just called it home when I arrived. And put some curtains on it and ask you over. Really. I was basically, come on. And I'd keep getting evicted to a worse bottom. I, didn't see, I could not see it was going to end. I really, And I had given up all hope. And basically, all I wanted to do was try to stay as unconscious as I could until I parked at the next door of jail institutions and that, you know, the next time. Really. So I was in that trailer park just doing, I was just a regular day at the office. Basically, just trying to get hot, you know, drink until I could get some drugs if I could. I had no money, obviously, at that point. I had to coerce someone else to buy it. And then I was just sitting there with this guy who I didn't know, with bulbous, big bulbous nose and varicose veins, passing a bottle of Royal Gate vodka. I love it. I always share this anyway. I love it. It's just a great... Well, what happened is I looked at him and I said, this guy's a bum, you know. (laughs) He was. He looked like a bum. But then I saw him looking at me like I was a bum. (laughs) And that was the moment of clarity for some reason. It got through that time. And something happened. In hindsight, the selfing, which is an activity, even though it seems like it's always on, it is an activity. And the possibility of stopping is available. It stopped. Something shut it down. And I feel like it was a divine intervention. Mm-hmm. Almost like a portal opened up. Yeah. And stopped it and froze it. And I didn't reach for that drink. And then information downloaded. And I was not thinking at all of walking out and going to the phone booth and calling up the program I had just left 10 months ago. But I, that was the next thing I did. Called up Delancey Street and I asked him if I could come back. And they said, they'd been getting my newsletter, and they said, no. (laughs) You know, you're not going to waltz in here and be in. You can come back in a month for an interview. That doesn't mean you'll get in or not, but you can come back. And I said the first honest thing I said in 10 months at at that moment, which is, I don't think I have a month, really. And I really just, I had a sobriety hit me, even though I wasn't sober yet, in a sense. I had a sober assessment going on of how screwed I was. And uh, and I was screwed. And so I called up a woman who we used to party with, and I asked her if she'd help me. And she felt, I guess she felt sorry enough for me to buy it one more time, to 
drove up an hour and a half from San Francisco. And um, I had, a, in that hour and a half, waiting for I had a miraculous alcoholic recovery. I wanted <laughs> to get drunk again. I wanted to get high again. As soon as I got in the car, I tried to talk her into spending money to get the, some alcohol and Coke and dirty magazines, rent the hotel room. And, but she had followed that equation with me many times. Had it been that satisfying for her? I don't think so. She said, no, tonight we're going to do something else. She says, do you want a place to stay tonight? I said, yeah. She says, well, you got to go to an AA meeting. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. Because you know? the last time I had that deal, I made a two-year commitment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, can I, that's what Delancey Street told me in the first interview I had with him. You want a place to stay? I said, yeah. Well, you got to stay here for two years. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, though. So this sounded easy. I said, yeah, I'll do it. And she took me to a men's meeting. March 21st, 1988, in, South, in uh, Salvation Army in San Francisco. I just went back there after my 25th year anniversary. And uh, it was so incredible. Same room, men, and they have a nice little circle of sober guys in the back. And I told them, you know, it's like I feel like one of those time-traveling movies because it's like Paul traveling back to see Paul because there was a lot of Pauls in there that I truly identified with. And I was attempting to tell him, you know, something really good is available right now. This is where I first heard the message. I've been sober 25 years, you know. You know what I mean? And it was like a couple of little Pauls, and I <laughs> grabbed them. And it was really pretty cool, you know, <laughs> to tell him. And uh, brought out my a lot of enthusiasm because that was the night. And I walked in there. I didn't have a freaking clue what was going on. <coughs> None whatsoever. I didn't, you don't even know how scared you are when you're that scared. You don't know anything. You're just frozen. And then I, uh, but I felt what happened there, I got a little hope, you know. And it allowed me to feel how hopeless I was. That's what happened. And I had another sober assessment, and she picked me up and took me to her house, and I uh, didn't drink, didn't try to do anything. And that, the miracle happened that night, really, when I was sleeping, basically. Because I woke up, and that driving force to escape, you know, was chilled out. And I made another, a, a rational move, which was a, a mind-boggling. I said to myself, I can't wait till 8 o'clock to go to a meeting. I better call up this AA and find out if there's a meeting earlier than that. And they, they told me there's one right nearby at 12 o'clock. So I went there, and I've been going ever since. So what I needed, and everyone here has all the information that we need about alcoholism. We need the, we need the right match, the right understanding to really light it. You know, and in other words, in a sense, what's happened to us will fuel what's going to happen to us. You know, an understanding of what's going on and the futility of thinking it's going to change other than get worse. Yeah, you can wake up from. And so you won't be practicing this program by feeling, but by through a commitment. You will re realize what's happening here and what will happen if you go back. Yeah, and to me, that sobered me up. And when they talked about the first step, I had had all the experiences of the first step. You know, I knew I was powerless <coughs> over alcohol and drugs, and my life was unmanageable. I had spent two years in Delancey Street. I didn't like them. I did everything. I never got high there. I never acted out. I did one little thing. At the end, I got an outside job, and they gave me a stipend for money to buy lunch. But they also provided lunches. So I used to take the lunch and save the money. 
That's what. That's the only bogus thing I did in the whole program of two years. Yeah, that was it. But after you know, after two years, when I left and graduated, when I had to admit, admit begrudgingly that my life looked better with them running it than it ever did with me running it. I mean that that was a pretty big demonstration to me of the first step and the third step, literally. Yeah, and and I actually I'm not proud of it, but I thrived in an institutional setting. As long as I'm watched 24/7, at that point, I can do really good. I can. Yeah. Left to my own devices, I'm done. But if I'm watched, and you know, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to have to be institutionalized. If I had to be, I would probably submit to it now. But I was hoping I could live more like a free range thing. Yeah. And that's what AA has provided. Yeah. It showed me a way of life that works perfectly to curtail the disease of alcoholism, to put it, to stop it in its tracks, and when it starts building up momentum, tons of manipulated pauses called meetings and other things and service to stop it and derail it so it never picks up enough steam to take me on the local to hell, you know? And by the way, just through that basic understanding, it led me to, to the real root of the problem, in my view, which is, all along, I lost the sense of what I was when I was a kid, and I grew into a mental sense of what I am, which is something bad, something lacking, something this, something that, tons of somethings, yeah? And that pressure to be or not to be that freaking thing was the driving force, and I always needed relief. And I never got relief from being that. I needed relief from that. Yeah? Because I poured tons of drugs and everything else in there, and I never truly got relief as that. Never. So AA showed me that, and the second step for me was an observational step. I came into the program, I listened to people, I came in with the, and I had a little hope, so when they told me something, they said, hey, you should sit in the front and give your attention to the speaker. I said, okay, I'll do that. I hope you're right. And I sat there. And they said, come back tomorrow. I said, yeah, all right, I'll do that. I hope you're right about this. You know? They said, get a sponsor. I said, no, I don't want to do that right now. <laughs> but I hope you're right. I'll do it sooner or later. You know what I mean? And I started to make decisions based on hope that set off trains of circumstances that brought me fortune that I didn't feel I deserved. And what does that cook up, which is gratitude? Yeah? And so after a few weeks of doing the program, I realized I was getting restored to sanity because I was getting restored to sanity concerning the first drink. The insanity that precedes the first drink wasn't leading me to the first drink anymore. I mean, to me, that's the second step. It says, I came to believe. Yeah. So what was allowing me to come to believe was that I followed the suggestions of the program, watched other people doing well and seeing that I was doing well. So I came to believe that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity because it did restore me to sanity. Yeah? Concerning the first drink. I hadn't drank. I was living in a guest hotel and I got a ghetto blaster and, you know, I was having a life again, you know. <laughs> Starting small but pretty cool, you know, from where I came from. And then uh, the third step which just led me into, hey, all you need, you know, you know, make a decision to turn your willing life over to the care of a higher power. And I understand the word care pretty well. I, my mother got to a point where we had to put her in a senior citizen home. 
because she was a wheelchair bound and she would sort of drink herself and knock out on the wheelchair and she couldn't get to her food you know so she had to actually she started having malnutrition and you know dehydration because the beer doesn't hydrate you it dries you up actually drinking all that alcohol so you know she had a lot of fear and anxiety in life and when we put her in the senior citizen home in the beginning she had that but every day at 9 in the morning at 12 in the afternoon at 6 at night they brought food and so it would only be insane for her after months to still have that fear because the proof was that she was being taken care of. Yeah, And even in my mother's experience, it was trippy. She looked so crestfallen and beaten, but while she was in that senior citizen home, she got into service of calling people, other older people that were in senior citizen homes that couldn't get out of their houses. And she looked, she would be so bright because she had a purpose. Yeah, and that's what happens. The purpose of getting loaded is over for us. We need to acknowledge and move into another purpose, which is the dictated or defined by the twelfth step. To practice these principles in our affairs and help other people to attain sobriety. Yeah, and I find in my experience that being identified with something bigger than me, like AA, brings out the best in me. If it was about me, I'd say, fuck you. <laughs> really, I would give a shit what happens to you. But because I'm in an AA, it brings about a caring for other people. And you know what? That thing was so foreign to me in the beginning, and now it's become such a part of me. But AA calls, get, calls out the best in me, you know? Like some people will say, you know, if uh, they don't... they Well, whatever. So the third step is that attorney, I made that decision. And then people say, and it's funny because let's say in your conceptual idea of surrender, it probably looks pretty like uh, romantic. You know, you're on the cliff with the wind blowing. Through your head and, you know what I mean? You have your ex-boyfriends and girlfriends looking at you adoringly. Please surrender, please. And, and you make this big, you know, and then, ah, and then the doves fly and the light opens up. But in this case, they say, all right, you did, made a decision. Now go home and write an inventory. What? <laughs> That's not in the storyline. You know what I mean? I'm supposed to be carried away, not going home and starting writing, you know? But that's, that's the thing, because what happens with AA, when you do the inventory process, one of the greatest things it does, it doesn't produce your answer. <laughs> After just four simple columns, it produces a different answer than yours. <laughs> and when you apply that answer, it seems to work. You know what I mean? Instead of trying bludgeoning a, a, a piece of metal into a keyhole, this one opens the door. <laughs> so the fourth step, I'm going to go over this step. So, I'm just gonna do it. so the fourth step, I used to do, I used to leave workshops on the fourth step, San Francisco, for 19 years, about 19 years, every Monday night. 19 years. I wasn't practicing the spirit of rotation. Because it, wasn't, it wasn't an AA meeting for 19 years to explore this, this idea. And so one of the ways I explained it, you know, where they talk about the, uh, in the fourth step that you're going to do an inventory on, on, on uh, saleable or unsaleable goods, basically. Yes, yeah? so you're going to look at your life sort of from almost like a business perspective. So let's say if I had a clothes store when I was out there, and I was doing pretty good. I had a nice line of clothes. And then one day I got a crazy idea that elephant bells were going to make a big comeback. You know, remember elephant bells, huge things. And I bought about a thousand pairs of elephant bells. And at this time I have a nice girlfriend and everything like that. And now 
the bells aren't selling. Yeah, I even I gave it to my girlfriend, one of them, and she returned it when I wasn't working with her. There's, no, there's like there's packed in the back, and so I'm starting to lose respect for myself, and I'm not I'm not uh, uh, you know vacuuming the place, and people are stealing stuff, and I'm not even running after them anymore. Everyone who calls is a creditor I owe money to, so I don't want to talk to them. I can't talk to her because I feel if she knew how bad it was, she'd leave me and stuff. So there's all this angst and stuff about me in this damn store. So one day a person walks into the store and says, hey, I'd like to buy the store from you. So I'm really, I'm open to that idea. And I said, yeah, where do I sign? So I signed the papers and I'm starting to walk out. He says, no, 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 it's just going to look exactly the way it's looked. But I'm the, I'm the owner now, right? And so I'm not, I'm not used to that idea. But then it comes to me quickly. The phone rings and I pick it up. And it's a creditor, and he goes, is this the owner? I go, no. <laughs> <laughs> that night I go home and I tell my girlfriend everything. Because I'm getting a good salary at work. I'm still there, right? Yeah. All this happens. Yeah. The whole shift of my, the, my whole experience was just based on the ownership. Yeah. Being the doer and the haver. Yeah. The, the one in your own life. The Alpha and the Omega. With that little bit of relief, it created a huge, a huge effect. Yes. So now, that's what it's like. That's what the third step is. You're going to turn your, over your, the will, your will and life over to that care of a higher power and then just and judge it by its fruits. See if it works or not. Yes? And if it works, why not? Like it says in AA, you know, God could and would do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Expand that idea. Realize how much stuff you can't do for yourself and throw it into that principle. And you'll see something will work that wasn't working before. So there's another way. So then we do the inventory process. But the process I like, you know, it says, being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. We will now look at some of its common manifestations. And then the next state statement is resentment. So I'm going to say this for Mike. I think he likes the poopa scooper story, right? So in this case, there's a guy who has a nice house beautiful lawn in the back. Has anyone heard this? I hope so. It's a nice story. He has a nice lawn, a beautiful house, a uh, beautiful lawn in the back of the house. And he has a lot of stuff he does on that lawn. He has the lawn bowling, you know, picnics. Uh, he runs around in the morning dew with no shoes on and does angels, you know. And, he's just, and he loves it out there. So one day he's just going to go out in his morning walk and walk around the property and he steps off the porch and he lands his in the, some shit, Yeah. So he goes, and he steps back, and he lands in some other shit. And they start smelling it. And so he jumps up on the porch, cleans his feet, goes inside, and his life already changes. Now he has to wear shoes. Yeah? The shoes come into place. This is what happens all the time. So then he goes outside, and he's walking around, and there's a lot of shit everywhere. All different kinds of shit, you know? And then he's going, what the hell's happening? So he, what happens is, like a, like someone like me, he just goes in and ignores it. He ignores it, thinks that if I don't look at it, it'll be different. And the next day, it's even worse. So now he just locks that door, pulls the shades down, goes out and buys pictures of lawns, you know? <laughs> Reminisces how it was nice to have a beautiful lawn. Not even looking that way anymore. And then... And then he's calling up other people. Have you been using your... No, I can't use my lawn. Oh, it's just... And they have parties, you know, reminiscing about the good old days and stuff like that. And then one day some guy comes in, knocks on his door, and says, Hey, 
And he's the, I go, I ask him, what is it? He says, I've heard you have a problem. He says, yeah, I have an incredibly bad problem with all this shit. He says, well, I sell pooper scoopers, yeah? And I said, all right, let me see one of them. So I buy one of them and stuff. And he says, listen, you use it. If you get good at it, at least you'll have a few a few moments with no shit on your lawn maybe, and maybe a two-by-six-foot piece. You know, it's not like the old days, but at least you can stand up for a little while. Long. So you get pretty good, and you buy two. Yeah, and you get really good, and people start hearing about how good you are, and they're calling you up, and they you're giving advice. Yeah, yeah, you get these models, and you have an autograph model comes out, and you know, <laughs> two poopers scoopers, and you're really good, and and people now you become a circuit speaker. People call you up, and you're going on the circuit talking about how incredible, great, you know, spoopa scooping is, and you know, <laughs> you may have about a four by eight, and it used to be like a two hundred by two hundred yard, but hey, what the hell? And you're constantly having to be vigilant and working hard, and then one day. And you become a great authority on pooper scooping and stuff and the, and the demise of a lawn and everything. And so now the identification is sort of rooted in that thing. And then someone comes in one day and knocks on the door and says, hey, I heard you have a problem. He says, I don't have any problem. I said, oh, yeah, you have the problem with the shit on the lawn. He says, no, no, it's not a problem. I've, I've learned how to deal with it, you know. And the guy says, really? You did? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm famous. Haven't you read my books? I'm on the, all the news. I'm the book, my own autograph models and everything. You know? And he says, oh, yeah. I says, yeah, I'm not looking for anything. I've got my solution. Okay. He says, all right. And as he's walking out, he says, well, if you want, and, you know, you may want to look at, why don't you find the dog? <laughs> If you find the dog, which is obviously the source of the shit, yes, <laughs> and you got rid of the dog, why would you need the pooper scoopers? See, but it's now it's very difficult to get rid of the dog. First of all, because we're taking ourselves to be the dog. That's the why. Actually, that's the root of the problem. Identification as we can't imagine getting rid of, rid of us. Yeah. So we have to learn how to tolerate it and try to manage it and deny it and try to live ourselves around it instead of just being radically free from it. And usually it's because we just haven't heard the information. We haven't heard the possibility that we can be free from it. Yeah. So the best we can do is therapize it, try to socialize it, try to minimize its damage instead of just having a radical sense of freedom from it finally. <coughs> yeah? This is what this day is for me. Every day I come to meetings is to offer that possibility. Because that's what happened with me. I had pooper scoopers. I was dealing with stuff pretty damn good. I had a lot of people respecting me dealing with stuff pretty damn good. A lot of people wanted my advice about dealing with stuff pretty good. Yes? And yet, there was still a whole lot of stuff always getting produced to deal with pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I'd much rather have no stuff. Yeah. Sort of like, why would I need a vacuum if I don't have a rug, yeah? I'd rather not have the rug. That's my sense, anyway. So then when I heard this idea, I entertained it. And I entertained it, and just like AA, it produced results. And I know the tree by its fruits. Yeah? And I really, really humbly, humbly, fervently know deep down that the root of the problem is an activity called identification of self. Yeah? The obsession with self is just there to re reinforce it. Because the bonding of what you are to the idea that your mind has of you needs a lot of fucking glue. Because it's not a natural bonding. It has to be reapplied, 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 reapplied. There's many gaps that it overrides, it forgets, 
Yeah? All those miracles in the morning, you forget in two hours, and the resentments of 30 years ago, you remember as if it was yesterday. That's the bias of the mind. Yes? It has an agenda. Its agenda is to forget something by actively remembering you. That's this idea of being Paul. Yeah? Because what your true nature is, is what's going to free you from the false nature. But as long as you're using the false nature to try to free you, you'll be enslaved. It's not freedom for or as or by, it's freedom from. Yeah? And it simply is this. I wanted to meet... If so, I will, last night we talked about you and I give everything all the meaning it has. Yes? So let's say, let's say if I, I have the same incident two different ones. Let's say we're looking at light from, let's say there's an experience called the snake, yes, and the molting of the skin. You know, snakes shed their skin every year. And we're going to look at that one event from two different perspectives. From the skin's perspective and from the snake's perspective. Right? So here it is. The skin starts realizing it's lifting off the snake. Now the skin's relevance is that it's the snake. Yeah? So the skin knows if it's lifted off the snake, that's the end of its little reign of identification. So it's telling the snake, don't go outside in the sun, get a lot of moisturizer, don't do this, don't do that, and it has an underlying current of anxiety because it knows it's not the snake. Yeah? So it sees this as a huge threat going on. Now the snake, if it can weather that storm, is going to feel so much lighter when the new skin shows up, it's going to move over everything much smoother than it is with the old skin. The old skin is catching on things. It's heavier. Yes? It's going to slide over things. So from the snake's point of view, hallelujah, the skin's going. From the skin's point of view, it's the apocalypse. Yes? <laughs> That's what happens all day. You're either seeing it from one or the other. There's a lot of different degrees, but it's basically you're either seeing what from one point of view or the other point of view. Yeah? Just like when you were out there, I was taking, I was, the people who wanted to help me, I saw as threats. And the people who were participating in the demise, I saw as friends. That's how distorted it was. I had so many people who wanted to help me, and I thought those, they were like fucking assholes and punks. <laughs> and the people that were going down with the shit with me, they're the only ones I listened to. Yeah? This is a very warped, distorted point of view. But there's a possibility to have it shift. So, when I entertain the idea that identification as self, which is a verb, there's no self as a thing that you're identifying as. The verb is identification as self. That's it. It's just a verb. It can't make a noun. It's not about a noun. It doesn't affix to a noun. It, 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 it allows a noun to seem to appear. Yeah? Mm. And you and I make the leap. All it can do is infer, imply, assume, point at, suggest by all it's remembering and all it's worrying about me in the future and me in the past, but you and I make the leap. That's why where the active problem is is also the solution. We've got to take responsibility in a sense. Yeah? That's where the absence is. If you give it an inch, it's like playing with that dog of alcoholism with your string and a bone teasing it. When it wakes up, you're screwed. Yeah? This is about that's that. Yes? And then that's a point that leads right to a point sooner or later that you'll be living on a constant level as the problem doesn't exist for you anymore. Then finally, life can start building what it wants around you while you're getting demolished. Yeah? And you'll be on... I cannot believe... I don't even think about it. I, 
it's just amazing where we come from. Yeah. So in this <laughs> I really believe understanding is helpful. To understanding what the true ailment is will lead to a true solution to it. Yes? Not understanding what the true ailment is, a recurrence of the problem will keep arising. Yeah? And you won't be able to jive or bullshit. You'll feel dissatisfied again, irritable, restless, and discontent, but the influence of the disease is still prevalent. Yeah? You'll know it by its absence, really. When you're really chilled out and things are stabilized, you'll know what it was like by its absence. Yeah? We know it only one way, being under it, some of us. It's nice to know it from being relieved of it. Yeah? Then you see the beast from head to toe. From head to toe. And you recognize it before it has you seen from it. You see it. You see it. And it is a possession. Just like when you were out there. Remember? Maybe you haven't drank in a while. So I always use this example of here's a horse that's been ridden by al- the jockey of alcoholism. And now it's a little free from it. So there it is in the stable eating its oats and everything. And then it hears the, al- the jockey coming. And it gets a little scary. It starts kicking and goes, ooh, ooh. And the jackie's going, don't worry, it'll be different this time. And it's like, ooh, ooh, no, no, no. And, but it's so, and it's convincing you, oh, no, it's going to be great. We have plans for you. They're going to be great. And you're going, no. And then its leg slips over you. And as soon as it's on you, it's not talking to you anymore in a form of convincing. It's talking as you. Now you're galloping to the 7-Eleven. There's no debate anymore. <laughs> yes? You're calling up the dealer. There's no, it's all, it's all on. Yes? That's called the possession or when the parasite has taken dominance again. We want relief from that, eh? Unless you don't. Unless you like it. Unless you like getting your ass kicked royally. So then when I did the inventory, I saw that it was like a foreign installment selfing, yeah? And it, just like it would be easy for me to take your inventory, I'd be brutally honest about you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be writing it all down. It'd be coming like shorthand. I'm not, I'm confused what my role is. No, I know what your role is. Boom, 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 like that. That's what it's like. You see it as like a foreign person, yeah? And you start telling the truth about it. Yeah. You start telling and then you see the patterns of it, how how it defeated you. Yeah? And then that's and then you share it with another person and the higher power or whatever that power is for you, like a trinity. Yeah. And then you start living life and then what happens is the patterns that you saw in the fourth and fifth step, you you start seeing them happening. You, they're illuminated, almost like they're highlighted, yeah? And, and maybe you catch it like a day later, but after a while you're catching it right as it's coming out of the oven, and that's the best time to do step six and seven. Then at that moment, when you see the behavior starting to cook, but it hasn't actually manifested yet, you say, hey, I'm entirely ready to have this. You're seeing it right then. Not a past little, like, a dead autopsy, because you're not going to find the parasite when it's dead. You've got to catch it because it's an activity. Yeah? You can't put alcohol, the parasite of alcoholism under glass. 
the best way to really see it and be free from it is when it's you're seeing it. So it's like coming right out of the oven. You go, hey, I'm entirely ready to have this removed, and I humbly ask this power to remove it. And then if if that isn't available, if you're at a meeting and someone's sharing and it brings up a defect, and then you use this power of this room and you do the six and seven, it's got a little more booster rocket in it. Because that's that loving God expressing itself through our group conscience. There's a lot of grace in this room. So if I'm sitting here, something someone says at a meeting, and it triggers me, and I remember, oh, yeah. And, hey, I'm entirely ready to have that removed. And I ask that power to remove it. The power behind that is strong. The longer it's out and not addressed, yeah, the more stale it is. It just doesn't seem, it doesn't work as quick for me. So it's a matter of when I'm at meetings, I'm listening to people. Every person that shares, I listen because it rings a bell sometimes and go, aha, that's me. Yeah? Because all of us are the same me, the alcoholic me. So when I'm sharing it, I say, Jesus, that's an aspect of me. And I'm entirely ready to have that, which this person just shared, removed, and I ask that power to remove it. To me, that's six and seven is a living activity. When you recognize. When you see the patterns of selfing arise, you tell the truth. Because I'll tell you, it's much, let's say, it's much easier to move out of a house before it's built. Yeah? If you're in a house and you've got a mortgage and you got the rent and you bought like a Tempur-Pedic bed in there and you invested some money in it, it's going to be very difficult to leave. But if you see the house in the blueprint stage when it's coming out and you can, de- you can decline, I'm not moving in. Yeah? I'm not moving in. Then there's no need to try to go through all the process of moving out because you never moved in. This is called awareness. Just like if there was a picture of this event, it would seem like this was going on. The more you lift it up, you'd see a bigger picture. That's exactly what the spiritual awakening is. It allows you to sort of rise above situations and circumstances and see the principles of what's going on. Yes, The principles of the disease and also the principles of the solutions. So everything, everything that's said, everything that's said can be rooted back to one of the steps to the principle that that step uh, represents. Every one of them. You'll read, you'll be able to read all the tea leaves and bring it back right to the principle. And at that level of principle is the solution. Yeah. And the pl- principles, un- they're unvarying. They're the same principle underwater, above water. Wednesdays, Sundays, 2012, 1998, the principle overrides all of that. Yeah? It's reliable. And A's proven it's reliable for the last 70-something years. So, the alcoholic mind generates its little story, but you have a principle around it. Yes? And all you need to do is see what works or doesn't. And I got a feeling most of us would rather align ourselves with what works than they want to be special and right. Yeah? I'd much rather be happy than right, I'll tell you that. Because what happens when I'm right, I end up alone. <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> and I'm telling you, a lot of us... The right is such a strong drive, and sometimes it wants to be right about how wrong you are. <laughs> it, it, I swear, it has a huge drive to be right. You've got it. See, 
when you the recognition of the beast is important because then when you're seeing it you can't be see you can't be it if you're seeing it yeah and if you're seeing it you'll see it as a foreign installment and if it is a foreign installment a choice that wasn't available seems there's an option that seems to be available hey I'm not that yeah this thought is insane the only thing that makes it seem logical is the my in front of it when it's my thought, an insane thought can make, seems really logical. If you took the my out of that thought, you'd see at the insanity of it. Seriously. It's the my that's a distortion. It's your identification as the thinker, the doer, the haver. That's the distortion here. That way, the only way you see life from that point of view is how it's happening to you. You cannot not see it bigger than that. And then there's another aspect that you can see life is happening. I find it's much nicer just to go along with life is happening than to have to constantly fight the currents of it happening to me. You're not going to win, first of all. Have you ever argued with reality? How did you do? It's like arguing with a cop. (laughs) I remember once I, I had a $7. I took a cab, but I didn't have the money. Yeah, the cab driver drove me to the station. That's how loaded I was. I didn't even know where he was driving me. <laughs> Northeast Station, and then he had called the police, and they were waiting for me for seven dollars. So I threw a little alcoholic fit, and as they walked me into my cell, they ribbed me. They kneed me in the ribs and cracked two ribs, and then left me there the whole night. And then the next day, I couldn't move. I had to go to the hospital. This is, you know, I got the right to. You know, fucking say what I want. Sure, I do. (laughs) Wasn't the position to be doing that in. This is a lot, you become a lot more appropriate to what's going on. (laughs) And then we run into the most beautiful aspect of AA, one of them, millions of them, pause, you know, the P A U S E. If you took every one of our lives and if you had a chance, you know, instead of the genie with the three gifts, if you could, you'd have the genie with the three pauses, and you could look back on your life and just drop just three pauses, your whole life would look different, wouldn't it? Like that guy before he shot that person, and now he's in prison the rest of his life. If there was a pause there, and some sanity could have dropped in, his whole life would look, would look different. We have manipulated pauses called meetings. We have pauses galore. You do, you do service. You come out of your head. That's a pause, yeah? then you realize after a while the pause is always available at all times. You can actually live in the pause. Yeah. And then from there you can see all the knee-jerk reactions, but they won't have your belief behind them. They'll peter out, and no action will take place. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, but nothing happens. So then you get to eight step. I'm just going all over the place. But the eight step is simple. You just write an inventory, like a list of people you've harmed in a way. Now, I did, when it came to see, I tried a first step. I tried a ninth step when I was on the first step. That didn't work well, <laughs> as many of us did. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to tell the story then. But I did that. So each step basically is linear for a point because it brings, like, things I swore I would never do at the first step I did by the time I got to the ninth step. Yeah. Because the process works on you and makes you available and malleable for the change. Why? Not because it browbeated you and it has to happen, because it gave you evidence of the benevolence. Yes? 
you've got the evidence that this works. It doesn't need AA doesn't need advertising because it works. This is all advertising because it doesn't work. You know? Seriously. If you had a let's say you had a furniture business and you sold couches and every couch you sold you got these you shipped it on time, mm-hmm. delivered it on time, and the, the pristine condition was pictured as, yes? Yeah? With no problems. We do need excuses, rationales and blame. No, because you delivered the goods. Now, something that doesn't deliver the goods covers that fact up with what? Excuses, rationalizations, and blame. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> We're relying, uh, most a lot of times, on a failed system. That's the exhaust of it. And it's polluting everything. It's polluting our lives because it can't process here. It doesn't process this place well. It produces a lot of pollution. Yeah, And we're choking on that exhaust pipe. Tell you the truth. Perhaps there's a better way. Yeah. Trusting something infinite rather than our finite selves. Yeah. Self is finite. You and I actually <coughs> aren't. We. I don't think we. Be, we. We began when we were born and going to die when we end. I've seen dead bodies and I've seen them alive. Yeah. And the body ain't what was alive. The body was functioning because of that life, but it wasn't what was alive. Yeah, because the body's still there when it, the spirit leaves. You can take most of the parts out of it, and it will work if you put it in a live body. But it's not working now. Yeah, something has to move through this to enliven it, and I believe something's moving through us. Consciousness is moving through an organ called the brain and producing this. Yeah, and that consciousness through the brain is having a subjective experience. In other words, you and I give everything all the meaning it has. We're at this one event, but there's going to be thousands of different experiences about it. Some are going to hate it, some are going to like it, some are going to forget it really fast, some may get something out of it. Yeah, But it was the exact same event. Yeah. That's how important you and I are. You and I are giving everything all the meaning it has right now. And we've given that ability, we've given that position to a system of thought called self-centeredness, which is infected with alcoholism. And we've been dancing to its fucking tunes, reacting to all of its ahs and this and that. (laughs) And look at us. A lot of us have been wrecks. Totally fried out. That same event is going to happen. It can call it self-centeredness, which many of us are in, and or it can be called centeredness. The mind's going to be centered. If it moves from self-centeredness, find out what it's like to be centered. Much more inclusive in my experience. Yeah? Much broader, much larger possibility field. Yeah? The value of time gets diminished and your value goes here. Yeah? You're quite aware that you're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching right now. And you've lost interest in a lot of the thought system. Yeah? You're located here because you realize you can't be anywhere else. And such a great abstinence. You abstain from all this tomfoolery of thinking, I could be somewhere else, or I could be doing something else. You're not. First acknowledge actually what's happening, and then plan to do something else. But immediately to deny what's going on by entertaining what you think should be going on is the fucking mind playing God. Yeah. If you look at the game of life, and if it was a card game, when do you get the ADM card? At ADM, don't you? God 
light deals you the card at 80 ohm. That's the only time you're going to see the 80 ohm card. But your head tries to tell you how the whole game's going to go that day, doesn't it? Mm. It wants to tell you, you're going to have deuces all day. <laughs> you might as well just fucking throw the hand down and fuck it. <laughs> I'm just going to lay here all day and know I lost. <laughs> yeah? Isn't that so? You can't get the 4 p.m. card at 8 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather not see it anymore anyway. <laughs> I'm quite happy with this 8.30 card. Yeah, I am. It, I wouldn't want to know what it's going to be like. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'd much rather find out. It's much more enjoyable, yeah? To know something is like the booby prize. I know what it's going to be. Fuck it, I'm not going to go. I know what it's going to be. No, you don't. You don't have a freaking clue. Yeah. It just freezes you, stop showing up, and then you get to be right. Yeah. Like people, I've known a lot of people who've come in, and they're not, there's a lot of old ideas still very strongly in place that they're a loser, let's say, that they don't deserve anything good. And then AA starts working its little magic, and they, you know, they get sober, they get a job, they find a place to live, they meet a nice girl, yeah? So their whole world is telling them they're wrong, that they're not a loser, and but a pressure builds up, because the mind so stubbornly wants to be right, it's holding on to that fact, what happens? They go out, and they get to be right. They sit at the bar, they lose the job, they lose the house, they lose the girl and they sit there you see what see that I'm fucking a loser all because there was no immunity to the parasite where did that loser come from the head yeah it doesn't come from the elbow yeah it doesn't come from the heart it comes from a mental fucking stream building a story about you that you seem to be glued to, like you're on flypaper, like vertical flypaper <laughs> right there. You know, if we were stuck this way, we'd probably realize it, but we're stuck this way. We're walking around. Some of us are running pretty good shape, but we're stuck. We're stuck with an idea of ourselves. Yeah? And we'd like to get some freaking relief. Yeah? Even if it's a moment. Even if I have to get more stuck afterwards. I'll do that. Just for a second. You know, just for that shot, at least that one minute of release, yeah, I'd pay any consequence. What a deal. Yeah. Remember the old days? I don't know. You ever do cocaine? Probably not. No. <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking you're so cool and everything. And you're, you know, so you're snorting at a nice club, you know, disco, and you got your linen outfit on or whatever, pink shoes. You're partying really pretty cool. Then projected four days later, the shit's running out, you know. You're sitting in a room, full people all shooting in their little chairs. Suddenly it's running out. Suddenly you see this giant field of possibility. The rug. <laughs> <laughs> slowly, this very cool John Travolta type, looking around, 
No one's there. No one's at the pasture yet. So you're the first cow. You get down and you start looking for the imaginary rock. Suddenly others start joining you. The party is stopped and everyone's just going like with a fine tooth comb, trying to find anything that looks possibly like it could be cocaine, you know, lint, and then coming back to your chair, putting it in, and shooting it up. There must be an extreme need for relief at that point that we could be driven to there, don't you think? And what's behind that? It's the addiction to self. That's the that's the addictions of self's having a blast watching that. Because if you, if you believe you're stuck with that addiction of coke, you'll never look at the real addiction. That's why we have to get sober to really get to the root of the problem. You can't, you know, just like it says, the drinking is but a symptom. The real problem's deeper than that. And while you're busily doing all that shit, you're never going to see the problem. You're going to see from the problem. We just I would like to see how people have the possibility to have maybe a clearer understanding so they recognize it. So instead of taking it halfway, maybe see it all the way. And maybe some real radical relief can come, you know, that will stabilize. It won't be sort of having uh, like sobriety on a cliff. It'll be on a big open field that you can free range a little bit. Yeah. Assured that you're okay. Yeah. It says, don't you not know, get cocky about it or afraid either. Yeah. Like a lot of people share. Oh, I I'm, I feel free, but I'm still bound. We always want to keep agreeing with the enslavement. You know, let's fucking be brazen about it a little bit. You know? We're recovered radically from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Why not? The big boogeyman isn't going to get you. <laughs> the only thing that thing respects is power greater than it, and it's meta power greater than it. Introduced to us, through us, by us, through, I mean, through AA. AA showed us, AA has done what it had to do, diminish a mental condition so we can see the real power which is spirit in nature, which will override the mental power of the self. Yeah? A physical power ain't going to beat self. You know that. You can be incarcerated for 10 years and you get out and go out, get high the next day you get out. I was in Delancey Street two years. I went out as soon as I left. Yeah, There's no physical solution or a mental solution. It's a spiritual solution. That's the thing that outshines. That's the ace in the deck. Yeah? The ace in the deck is a spiritual solution. Right now, the mental so the mental problem playing it itself as the highest card in the deck, yeah? And it can beat all other mental solutions and physical solutions, but it can't beat the spiritual ace. Yeah? And sometimes we gotta be shown that it's in the deck because this the alcoholism has removed it in a lot of our decks. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Put jokers in there instead. So any questions?
Before we get into the questions, we're going to pass the basket. Uh, we're trying to raise money to cover Paul's expenses. He flew here from California. So if you don't have any money, don't worry about it. If you have some money, please give what you can. Can they have, we have a question if you want. To know. You know, it's fine. Great. I thought water was free or something one time. Sometimes I think, well, I don't know where the fuck I'm standing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I, uh, I don't even know if I have it here. The question is this: Where am I going to go with my? Where, where am I going to go with my identity as a drunk? Um, if that's not who it is that I am. So, and and the other thing is, is I, I was, I, I missed last night. 
No, and I, I missed last night. Yeah. But I, I I'm for, like I'm somewhat from, I'm familiar. Yeah. But I felt bad today. And today was a rough day. This, this woman who I am essentially estranged from uh, is still in my care. She's not. She never sobered up. She got stopped last year by being diagnosed with cancer, and I had to take her for her last chemo treatment today. But I, um, I wanted to be in the same room. And for what I know, I'm not really sure. But I could see you have a person. Yeah. Whatever, whatever that, whatever that, whatever that means. So again, thank you very much. And uh, so, where am I going to go if I'm not drunk? Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, when you come, just like we glommed on to the identification of being an addict, you know, it's not as glory, glamorous to be a drunk, but you know, addicts and drunks. It's sort of like a security, and then you got the next security was alcoholism, you know, alcoholic. And now you're just going to be wearing that probably looser and move into something else, mm-hmm. or let's say nothing else. Yeah, you'll still be wearing the uh, the AA uniform, but it won't be your skin. So really, yes, because AA is here to bring a freedom from even AA actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. But AA will be here to support you for that. That's the beauty of AA. AA will support you being free of AA. And you'll be able to express the freedom from AA in AA as another possibility. Not just a changing of one identity to another, but an outgrowing of identity as being the, 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 like the straitjacket uniform that we so ne- seemingly so, so powerfully need. You'll be able to stand on something else other than being the drug addict and the out- or the recovered alcoholic. You'll find another ground. Yeah? But AA is so incredible that it actually promotes being free from AA. See, it's like, do you ever hear, read the book New Pair of Glasses? You know? So alcoholism is like the distortion, and then AA corrects it. Mm-hmm. But AA is actually mm-hmm. offering us to take both glasses off, not to replace the one with the other, but as, so, as soon as the distortion gets, gets relieved, to realize the true freedom of seeing your innate or natural state. Yeah? in the confines of AA. Yeah? That's what happened. People, you think you identify with this, and now you want to, and you say, I'm going to leave the identification of being an alcoholic, and now what, become identified with something else. I'd much rather stay, because AA is a big enough umbrella for everything. Yeah? The only thing that makes it strict and dogmatic are the people in it, not the principles of AA. The principles of AA are just very, very huge. Yeah? And I believe AA leads to a freedom. And that means freedom from everything, in a sense. Yeah? That's my feeling about it. And, you know, you can see in AA a lot of times where something like this is introduced, then a lot of people go, it's not AA. It's such a sad moment in my life. Because how can you say this isn't AA? (laughs) If it's going to lead you to a freedom from alcoholism. Yeah? I mean, to me... So... Yeah, bro, you're in a good hand. You're in a good place. You're going to move through that phase you're in, and it's going to be even brighter and bigger for you. Yeah, because I'll tell you, AA actually looks pretty well when you wear it loosely. Yeah, it does. When you wear it loosely, it, you really fill it out. Instead of having it try to fill you out, you'll fill it out. You'll fill AA out. Yeah? Yeah. Yes? Mark Alcoholic. Hey, Mark. I was down in Mexico last week, and we were having an interesting conversation on the beach. You mentioned new pair of glasses, which was a tough scene. 
Uh, one of the guys I was with was sponsored by a guy who was sponsored by Chuck Singh. And his sponsor, who actually wrote a, a book in recovery, tried to take it one point further where Chuck said the ego kept us from the world. Yeah. But yet a sponsor came out with this thing saying that's not necessarily true. It's the alcoholic ego that's obsessed with itself that takes us out of the world. Which makes me think, my father never fought with his ego a, a day in his life. Yeah. Common? Well, I can't do it much justice, but uh, because um, I have that alcoholic thing also. So I know what alcoholism does. Some people seem to do fine out there, I guess. You know, they're happy to go to picnics and have a place. That just never was enough for me. <laughs> See, that was the dilemma. Because a lot of the things that people say you should shoot for, when I got them, I wasn't happy either. <laughs> so I was gonna—I was in a lose-lose situation here. Yeah, I'm not that excited about picnics. I'm not. I mean, I like them, but it's not like it doesn't do it for me. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, and things like that. So, yeah. So I don't know about. Some people seem to be fine the way things are, but. If you try to put yourself in their shoes and you're not them, it doesn't work. You know, you've got to find what works for you. You know what I mean? And so I, like I, uh, the lady I, the lady I live in a house with a woman who has 27 years. Now she has alcoholism, but she doesn't have that neurotic thinking. She never did. Yeah. And so she doesn't understand a lot of people like me in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I don't really understand her because she seems to be happy-go-lucky and has a really stable everything. She's an artist and everything like that. And you know, it's, and then, but and so when when you go into the deep aspects of alcoholism, she doesn't follow there because she doesn't have that incredible neurotic megaphone going off all the time, yeah? But there's a huge, a large swath of us that do. So she has a message for certain people, and there's other messages for the other types of alcoholics, yeah? There's not just one strain of alcoholism, yeah? So I'm just dealing with the one that I seem to be under. So that's how I found it. So I, what the thing about, of course, alcoholism is going to isolate you, but self, the addiction to self, which I think is the original addiction, also isolates people. Look at it now, with technology and everything else. I mean, you go to a cafe, no one's talking to anyone. They're all on their screens. They're all doing, everyone's freaking isolated. Uh, quite a lot now. Maybe the most you have contact with is a in, you know, nuclear family. We're so freaking lucky. We have community. It's like the old tribes. They, every night they go around the fire and talk with the community. This is like our little tribe. And it does so much wonders for us. People, a lot of people don't have this. They're going home, seeing their wife and kids and maybe their extended family. But, you know what I mean? We have, a, we have an incredible gift going on that keeps on giving every day. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, thank you so much for speaking. Um, you touched a lot of points I've been wondering about. Um, you said being that, something about being satisfied. Because I have that rambling psycho brain that never stops blessing. And um, that, if anything, that would be, I sometimes think, my downfall. Maybe to relapsing. That's my biggest fear. I know, um, like all of us. But I guess I just, um, I, I, I do, I'm doing the steps and I'm. I'm reading the book work and everything, but there's there's times my mind just doesn't stop. It yeah. never stops. Yeah. 
and then they would just say, take medicine, but then I do the medicine and it doesn't work. Like it, it's, um, I get sick from it. Yeah. So I, I try and find all these meditation, spirituality, like praying. And How about it, service? <coughs> it works at some point, but I can't get it the way you maybe. Well, but I would apply it. Service is a good way to get out of the head. Like helping others? Yes, yes, helping others. Because that's where you really get helped. You do. It's tried and true method, especially for the alcoholic mind. That's why our triangle has service on it. It's an, it's an essential. It's not something you choose to do. You need to do it. Yeah. With that type of mind, you need to get out of it. So that, you see, the mind is entertaining possibilities. That's what it does. Yeah? If it doesn't have that possibility, it can't entertain it. In self-centeredness, you have limit, very limited possibilities that are often to entertain. I will be okay. I was once okay. I hope I'm going to be okay. Whatever. But it's they're limited. Yeah. When you get out of your head, you get out of that system at least for a little while through an action. Yeah, through the service. And while it's out, it senses what it's like to be out of that. And it, the mind, even though you think you forget, it doesn't forget. Yeah. And each time it goes out, it, the, re, the reminding of it gets it sort of forms around that possibility. Hey, there is relief. Yeah. It's it is possible. Once it becomes a possibility, then it can entertain it. Yeah. That's why I'm doing these. Two, not why. Who knows? I don't have no idea why, but. One of the things that happens here is I was doing a lot of spiritual practices, but I couldn't get out of this idea of self can, can't get out of self. And I needed to hear this invitation that I'm not that outside. It wasn't coming in from what I was doing. You know? So I was just running around. This, it was like, I was like a marathon runner in a closet. I was just running around over and over again, looking to get, you know, to run, you know, and just run, run, run. And then I heard this possibility, and as soon as I was given the possibility, then my mind could entertain it. Because it's entertaining all day. It's entertaining what that girl meant by saying hello to me. It's entertaining, are my sh pants too short? It's entertaining what I'm going to happen to me tomorrow. That's all the mind does is entertain. Yeah? And, but it's limited by what it, it's, it's entertaining is limited by what possibilities it's, uh, that are on offer. Self-centeredness confines the realm of possibility. Yeah? It makes a very limited possibility and most of us have gone over every one of them and all we're doing is, is like figuring a trick, playing around with the formula, changing different person to have a relationship with or live it to at a different place but it's the same formula. Same formula that didn't work then, and it's probably not going to work now, and you're still going to apply it later. Yeah? So this is, when you get out of, when you do service, I mean, for me, I go to H&I meetings, you know, at a detox in, the San, in San Francisco. For 11 years, you know, I had two commitments, and then it was time to give them up because, it had, you know, other people should have the, the joy of it. And some days, the head had so much... Uh, <laughs> Oomph behind it, yeah? Nothing, no meditation was going to stop it. No reading a book was going to stop it. No eight hours of yoga was going to stop it. What stopped it was going to a freaking meeting of AA and people who needed AA very badly, and after about eight or ten minutes, the worst storm at all would be subverted. It would be changed. With, and all I was doing was sitting there, sharing my experience, faith, and hope. Yeah? There's the proof. 
So what happened? I kept those commitments. I kept those commitments. I did those things because every time I got out of myself, there was something that wasn't available when I was up the ass of self. A little possibility that, hey, I could probably stay out of this fucking thing a little longer than I am. Yeah? So all it needed, it started growing, 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 growing. And whatever the mind entertains, it, whatever possibility grabs onto, it can bring into fruition. Yes? But it needs to have the possibility. That's the point of understanding, is to hear what's going on so that you have, you're informed in a way. And it's important to be informed of the real activity of the disease so you can apply the right fucking ointment to it. Yeah. Yeah. And how are you going to know that? You'll find out because if you get radical relief, you're on to something. Yeah. If the relief stabilizes, you're on to something. If you're not lamenting about the good old days, when you're 25 years old, where you can't even remember this after this meeting, because there was no need for a memory, you were totally present at it, when you walk out, you can't conjure this thing up. I don't, when I go home and they say how, what, they don't even ask me anymore how it was, because I have nothing to report. I have, I can't grab what's happening right now. I can't make it into a memory. That's why it's so fucking valuable. It can only be lived. Yeah. I can't send pictures home. Look at this lovely meeting I was at. You know? Oh, look at me climbing up that tree. No. This is... How did you feel? I don't know. But I know whatever was bothering me when I walked in here, whatever physical condition was nagging me, was totally forgotten. Every second I've been sharing. Therefore, how real could it fucking, fucking, fucking be? <laughs> grateful for what you got. Use gratitude. You're gratitudeless. We have everything in the program to support those those aspects. Because the whole program is about supporting those aspects. Yeah? When you're in grateful and when you're in gratitude, you don't want anything more than you have. When I was first got sober I had that always needing more. So for five years, I mean, for a long time, any time something really nice happened to me, I said, thank you, God, that's more than enough. Yeah? Because before it was never fucking enough. So I would just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it until I had entertained it enough that it became a true possibility. And I didn't need the prayer anymore. Yeah? So you can borrow it if you want. Thank you, God. This is more than enough. Yeah. Great. But um, you know, some people were saying about you know the 
Gotham with the story with the bug, you know. I, I remember watching this documentary and this guy, he was talking about, you know, addiction. And he was saying, he showed an analogy about, you know, like a zebra in the jungle and the zebra's eating grass. And then all of a sudden, like, bam, like a lion comes out running after the zebra. They show it and, and, and the zebra gets away and then everything calms down and then the next thing, the zebra goes back to eating grass. You know, and I think that's definitely what addiction is. You know, and um, yeah. And if I and if if the zebra would have you know had a program, <laughs> you know, with his higher power, it would have known that you know the line is not an endurance runner. You know, it, it goes after the prey that is closest to him. You know, and so that spiritual awareness you were talking about, that awareness of knowing what's going on around you, is something that. You know, I got out of this meeting, so thanks again. Great. That must have been some. That must have been some great grass. I don't think I'd go with. You know, there was a lion there, but maybe. There but the thing is, that's when we need to be in the middle of the herd. There's another one of the suggestions of AA. When you realize your limitations, it's a damn sober moment. You realize, like for me, I realized I needed to be institutionalized. I couldn't live out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And there's some people that, you know, you see them in AA and you realize the only at the point they are, they have to go into a living program. And that's the last thing they want to do and it's they keep they keep going back near the lion and eat the grass. And then the lion fucking attacks them and then yeah. And it's gonna keep happening and it, you only that's you only have the one suggestion, hey, you gonna you you know, you got to go into a place to be protected. You can't deal with it out here right now. And they know, oh, I've been hearing that from everyone. Yeah, well, let it sit here. <laughs> Maybe it's pretty damn good advice right now. You know? But, and there's always that but that arises, you know. But I'll lose my girlfriend, and I'll lose the, my job, and I'll lose the place I'm living. You're going to lose them anyway. Aren't you? If you don't take care of business, you're losing them all. Everything, like they say, you put above the sobriety is going. And it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. It's not personal. <laughs> yeah? The personalness is part of the disease. It's just the way it is. The disease has principles and the solution has principles. You can't, you can't brook either of them. Yeah? You can't brook the, the principles of, of the disease. It's progressive. Yeah? It's chronic and it's going to lead to death. Some way or another, yeah. You're not gonna. You're not gonna. You're not gonna be the exemption to that rule. It's not happening. And then there's principles of the solution. So you learn both. You don't learn one without the other. You need both because the one learning of the principles of the disease will motivate you to practice the principles of the solution. Yeah, they will. You won't take this so nonchalantly. You know, some of that stubborn reluctance may be removed because you'll have a sober assessment that you're screwed and you better get sober you better get serious about this and not have it on the level of feeling but commit to it you know commit to this thing a day at a time but commit not feel but commit yeah and that came for me from a sober understanding and I had thank God the ability to be convinced life finally convinced me on that last run and I was brought to AA it was I, I was finally convinced, you know. I was open to receive some suggestions and follow them finally. Yeah. And I've been convinced ever since. Yeah. 
And I all I need all I need to do is go to meetings to have it fucking reinforced because I listen to people and I see exactly where they're speaking from and I don't want to be there because I see the results they're in. And it co- totally correlates to where they're speaking from, which is reliance on self. Yeah. I haven't seen any exception over the 25 years. Not one. Not one person has come back, oh, I had a great time out there. I'm just here to, t- come on, all of you, come with me. It's great out there. I haven't seen that. I haven't. I haven't seen they started a new... Uh, a new meeting to save us from doing what we're doing, you know? You know what I mean? we got to save them. we got to tell them, fuck AA. This is, come on out here. Follow our path. No, I followed that already. You know? Uh, it's not happening. Is no. Is that a... Uh, oh, no. no uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yes. Roger, alcohol. Roger. Uh, talking about service. Sometimes get out of my own head. It's just as simple as calling somebody. You know, listening to them and you know, calms things down. <coughs> Question was last night you had to be absent shirt on. Is that being absent from self? Yes. Okay. No way. It's a joke in a way. It's a <laughs> retreat I go to that I speak at which with this group called Self Inquiry Group, which is about ask it's always asking subjective subjective questions of who am I? And there's no one there. So basically this is actually this seeming presence is truly absent. You're not a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. And through that absence, you sense the presence of what's so. But you can't sense the presence of what's so through the absence. It's When this is recognized as absent, then that's present. Mm-hmm. Yeah? That's what happens when you have a peak moment or when you're doing a talk or when you're doing service. You get out of self and you forget self, and that's when you sense the presence. Yeah? Together, yeah? It's sort of like, you know, you look at all your relationships with women and none of them worked. You've got to look at which is the one constant in all of them, you. <laughs> so you start feeling like, when I'm out of myself, I feel the best that I feel. Bingo, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not rocket science. It's just recognizing what's so, what's happening. You know, hey, this worked. Hey, yeah. You know? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, that's it? Yes.